I, I realized that I was undercharging and it was so much harder for me to stay focused on the projects that I I did not feel like I was getting paid adequately for. But that was my fault. That was not the client's fault. I allowed that. You know, even if I said my my rate and the client came back and offered a lower rate, I could have said no. So the responsibility was mine to either say no or to say, you know, I would love to work with you and this is my rate. Take it or leave it. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 637. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm thrilled to be introducing our guest today, Nathan Hirsch from FreeUp.com. Now, listeners, you have heard me share my story of entrepreneurship, how I was trying to do too much myself, how I had sleep deprivation, which led to severe anxiety and depression, and how I started to turn it around by realizing that there were things that I should not be doing. So I just want to remind you today that just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. But with all that said, Nathan, I'm so happy to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I love talking just entrepreneur, entrepreneurship and hiring and scaling. It's a lot of fun. How did you get into this? So I, I was a broke college kid and my parents were both teachers. So I kind of went to college with the mentality that I was going to get a real job and work for 30 years and retire. And when I got to college, I had gotten this internship at Firestone and I was working 40, 50 hours a week. I was learning a lot about customer service and sales and, and marketing. And I also learned how much I just hated working for other people. I, I knew that if this was going to be my life after college, I was going to be miserable. So I started hustling in college. I took some of that summer money and I bought people's textbooks and I competed against my school bookstore. I offered better pricing. I created a referral program. And before I knew it, I lined out the door of people trying to sell me their books to the point where I got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off. So my parents are both teachers. I didn't want to get kicked out of college and I pivoted. I stopped selling books. I had sold a few books on amazon.com. This was back in 2008. No one really knew what Amazon was. It was kind of this, this big bookstore that was just getting into other products. And I just had to figure out what to sell. So I started experimenting with products that I was really familiar with, the sporting equipment, video games, computers, typical college guy stuff, right? And I just failed over and over and over. And it wasn't until I branched out of my comfort zone and found the baby product industry that my business blew up. So if you can imagine me as a single 20-year-old college guy. Yeah, selling- hold up a second. The baby <laughs> product industry. Seriously? Yeah, it was. And I wish I had some story about how I did market research and all that. But back then, I mean, no one really understood Amazon. It was just a ton of trial and error. And I just kept trying to sell things, sell things, sell things until I came across baby products. And those things started to sell out fast. So I'm selling these baby products. I'm making more money than, than any college kid should. And my parents tell me I should probably start paying taxes. So I meet with an accountant. And the first question he asked me is, when are you going to hire your first person? And I kind of shrugged him off. Like, why would I do that? It's money out of my pocket. They're going to steal my ideas. They're going to hurt my business. They're not going to do a good job as me. 
pretty standard entrepreneurial excuses, right? Right. And he just laughed in my face and he said, you're going to learn this lesson on your own. Well, sure enough, my first busy season comes around the fourth quarter. People are buying a lot of toys, a lot of baby products, and I just get destroyed. I'm doing everything. I'm filling every order. I'm responding to every email. I'm working 20 hours a day. My social life plummets. My grades go down. And I work my butt off for eight weeks to keep this business afloat. And when I get to January, I think to myself, man, I can never let this happen again. I need to start hiring people. So I know nothing about hiring. I post a job on Facebook. This guy in my business law class says, hey, I don't know what you do. I need a job. I hire him on the spot without interviewing him. Ends up being an amazing hire. He's hardworking. He's smart. He brings a lot to the table. My weaknesses are his strengths. And he's been my business partner for eight years. He, he was for the Amazon business. He's co-owner of Free Up right now. And so there I am as this punk 20-year-old thinking, man, this hiring thing is easy. You post a job on Facebook, someone shows up, you make more money, and your life becomes easier. And I just proceed to make bad hire after bad hire after bad hire, quickly learning that college kids were very unreliable, turning to the remote hiring world, the Upworks of Fivers. I, I got frustrated posting a job, getting 50 people to apply, interviewing them one by one. And if I found someone I liked and they quit on me, I had to start that process all over again. And I kept looking for a faster and faster way. And when I couldn't find it, that's when I had the idea of building my own marketplace free up, really taking everything that I liked about those platforms and, and changing everything I didn't like. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but that's really how I went from a broke college kid to selling books, to selling baby products, to starting my own freelancer marketplace. Wow. So we had a previous guest and I'm having a brain fart and can't remember the guest name. Sorry, previous guest, but this guest did the uh, book, the college bookstore story like you did, I mean, had more business and actually got expelled from his college. Because <laughs> That's he what would, I was trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah, well, he wouldn't stop because he realized, oh my gosh, I'm making more money doing this than I'll ever be able to make with whatever track he was going with. He's like, I'm just going to keep on doing it. So, yep, he ignored the cease and desist and kept on going. I love how you're talking about, well, I don't love, but I, I do love how you you were doing the 20 hour days and thinking, yep, you got to do it all because I was in that same thing or I was in that same track in 2008. Uh, I had a e-commerce shop on eBay and then I built my own site. So orders were coming in through there too. Now I must say I was doing a lot of things wrong. I had a distributor who could ship things to me within a day. So I had the brilliant idea of just going through their online inventory and listing everything that they had on my site. That's a bad idea. I was in the scrapbooking industry. So when I post that I have this style of paper and somebody buys one sheet, I still have to buy the pack of 50. So not only was I working those 20 hour days, but I was also going majorly into debt. So did you face any serious fallout from that? I mean, the Amazon business, I was doing drop shipping and I was doing drop shipping before I even knew it was called drop shipping. I just had the, the idea that, hey, I don't have a, a warehouse to store anything. I don't really have a lot of money to buy stuff up front. And none of these retailers at the time, manufacturers, knew that knew anything about Amazon. So I would go to them and say, 
hey, I'll, I'll, I'll give you another sales channel. All you have to do is package the product and ship it where I tell you to. You can keep my credit card on file and charge me for every order. And I built up a lot of those relationships. At one point, I was working with over 200 manufacturers. But I'll tell you that first year, it was about year 1.5, I had this brilliant idea to, to have a manager of the day where I hired one person and I taught him how to do everything. I taught him customer service and listing. And at that point, I, I was super stressed out. And I, I thought, hey, if I can get one person doing everything, I'd relax. And on the flip side, I had one manufacturer who was 80, 85% of my sales. And I said, you know what? I don't need these other manufacturers. Let's focus just on them. So I get my business on autopilot. Things are going great. I have one person handling everything. I have this manufacturer I'm crushing it with. I'm sleeping better at night. I'm not as stressed out. And I think to myself, man, I, I, I deserve a vacation for setting all this up. So I plan a trip to Myrtle Beach with a bunch of my buddies, and I'll never go back. On the first day of my vacation, I get three phone calls. The first from that manager of the day who I spent six months training telling me he was quitting on me. Oh, my gosh. The second from the manufacturer telling me that they were dropping me and they no longer want to do business with me. And then just to top it off, I got a phone call from my accountant telling me that someone had filed a fake tax return in my name and stolen my identity. They'd stolen $40,000 from the government and I was going to have to deal with that mess when I got home. So <laughs> I went from this like unbelievable high to I'm this 21 year old for killing it. I have a business on autopilot. I'm making a lot of money. I'm paying off my student loans to let's just start all over again from scratch. And I, I learned a very valuable lesson about just diversifying when it comes to hiring, not hiring one person to do everything and, and hiring a team for customer service, a team for listing, a team for repricing. And and same thing on the manufacturer side is no matter how good that manufacturer is, you, you can't have that being your only supplier. So I came back and I started contacting lots of different suppliers. At some point, I was working with over 200, 300 of them. And when it was time to hire again, I split it up. I, I built those teams out and it wouldn't be the last person that quit on me, but the next time it wasn't that big of a deal. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do that because hiring is hard. So you you make some bad hires and, and you finally find someone you like and you have that tendency to just load that person up with everything and they don't realize how risky that makes your business. Oh, I hear all of that. Several years ago, I was at a conference and um, and I had the opportunity to be in a, in a mastermind with Dana Malstaff, the host of Boss Mom Podcast, and she's the founder of Boss Mom Brand. And she was talking at in the mastermind about how she had, I don't even remember the number, it was like over seven, I think, different team members who each had one specific job in the company. And at that point, I remember thinking, that's insane. That's so much money. Like, how can you justify that? And keep in mind, that was only two years ago. In those two years, I have seen the value. So now, I mean, I have my podcast production team, but even on that team, there's different roles played by different people. And then and even aside from the podcast, I have the different roles, but I've been in that place where I was where I was taking all of my overflow and putting it all into one person and it never worked. I mean, I remember this one guy who every sing it felt like every other day had some personal emergency. And I'm not knocking personal emergencies because that's how it feels in my life sometimes. Maybe that's everybody's life. But when I was handing it off, everything off to one person, like seriously, seriously, something else. And I don't think 
it wouldn't have felt so bad and so weighty. Is weighty a word? <laughs> I'm it, not sure, but I, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I think certain certain VAs and freelancers get a, get a bad rap just for that reason. Mm-hmm. So I I found a site. I'm not going to leave the name, and I just want to share this story with with the listeners. I hired a graphic des- or a, a web designer. And he was amazing. He performed his first couple jobs just phenomenally. Phenom- can you say that word for me? Phenomenally. There we go. Well, and then I decided, okay, you're awesome. I'm going to start having you design client websites for me. So he got his first assignment and then all of a sudden disappeared. Yeah. I had no <laughs> files, no nothing because these were, I mean, he designed them in Photoshop and I didn't, I didn't require that he store those somewhere. Like even a shared Dropbox would have been better than nothing. But there was no communication. I mean, I reached out for the next month. I mean, the, the client was getting upset. Where's my website? Where's my website? I can't. It's hard to go back and say I don't know. My guy disappeared. What am I going to do? You know. So I had to build it myself. Well, the guy came back about a year later. Hey, Kim, do you have any work for me? And he had been a great graphic designer, or he had been a great web designer. So I said, yeah, actually, I have a big project I need to do some work on for two days from now. Is there any chance that you have time available? It was a Tuesday. I needed it by Thursday. Nathan, it was a landing page and lead pages. Lead pages is not difficult. I didn't need anything spectacular. I just didn't have time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Kim, I can do it. I can do it. Okay, well, great. If there's anything that's going to keep you from doing it, please let me know. Wednesday comes around. I ask him, how's it going? No response. Thursday, no response. Clients asking. I'm like, oh, boy. Friday, I didn't even bother reaching out. Monday, I hear from him. Hey, Kim, I was at, I had a whole bunch of interviews last week, but I turned down all the jobs because I told them I was working with you. Um, No, you're not. I told you I needed this on Thursday. This is the second time that you flaked on me. I can't, I can't take a third shot again. I mean, how would have you have handled something like that? And do you have any protocol set up in your business to handle situations like that? Yeah. I mean, I'm a free out marketplace. So, so we get thousands of applicants every week. We vet them for skill, attitude, and communication. And communication is really the key to the platform. We understand that personal issues happen. I mean, we work with 3000 freelancers. Chances are there's going to be a personal issue every single month, right? If you, if you look at it, but we expect strong communication across the board and we do not work with freelancers, virtual assistants or agencies that, that don't communicate. And it's part of our terms of use that you need to respond within a business day at all times. And I mean, if a freelancer disappears, if they go missing, we're very quick to block them from getting clients or just removing them from our platform. So we've set that tone and that expectation. And if you look at it from the freelancer side, it's just not worth it to go through our vigorous application process get into our platform. We only let one out of every hundred applicants onto our platform and then get removed because you can't communicate. So of course it happens. People make bad decisions and stuff like that. But for the most part, you'll get a much higher level of communication than other places. And I mean, on my internal team, and I only hire people from the free up platform. I have 40 VAs in the Philippines that I got from free up that do my customer service. They do my billing. They do our interviews. They run my social media, all that stuff. 
And it's the same thing. I mean, I set communication standards and you either follow them or you don't. There, there's no in between. It's black and white, cut and dry. And, and I encourage people to, to have that same that same philosophy. If someone burns you once on communication, you don't do business with that person anymore. And there's no skill set. There's no attitude that can make up for poor communication. Mm. So I need to admit that I have I have personally struggled with communication, but it in let me just expand on that for a little, like I, this won't be long, but when I've been going through those rough parts, those rough times in my business, when I've taken on too much and I'm totally inundated with work and I've committed 80 hours a week and I can only work 20, you know, it's just one of those weeks. And this hasn't happened in a few years, but anxiety kicks in. And what I realized when I wasn't prepared for that was that I, I would, go into my bed and cover my head. And that is not the responsible way to go, people. It it nearly killed my business. And what I'll say about that is even a response of, I got your message, I'm there's something going on today, but I'll get back to you, is better than just ignoring. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. I, I, have, a, I have a free mentor who I have a virtual assistant that I've met in person. He does some, he's really good at Excel. So he does some reports for me, very, very part time, but he was hired by a VIP client, a, a personal friend of mine. And he, he was doing great for five months and his sister unfortunately passed away. And I met his sister in person too. And of course he was devastated. I don't think anyone, anyone that's lost a family member can, that close can, can relate. And throughout that entire time, his communication was at a plus level to the point where both me and the VIP client were like, Hey, listen, man, like we get it. Like go do your thing, go check in with me in like two weeks. I know you, you got to put on a funeral and all that. And he kept communicating and he actually just got back to working with the client today at 10 AM. And there was no issue. Like we get it. People understand that stuff happens that what we don't understand is if you just disappear or you say, Hey, I had an issue. And then we have to chase you down to get an update on that issue. There's the right way and the wrong way to handle communication. Yes. Agreed to all the above. Now I, I shared with you and just so listeners know, you and I are going to be talking about possible collaboration in the future, but I have a VA group of, or on Facebook. But I saw some resistance from American and Canadian, or let me just say North American VAs who didn't like uh, when clients would come in and want an overseas VA. And I have my own opinions about that, but I will before I ask you for your opinion, I will say that I have a strict no spam, no bullying policy in my group. If somebody wants to hire a VA for $3 an hour, $5 an hour, $10 an hour, by all means, I think they should have the ability to do it because those little steps will take them to the next level. What is your opinion? And should there be a minimum uh, precedent for what VAs are charging? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't set the market. You don't set the market. No matter whether you and I offer VAs for five bucks an hour, whatever it is, there's still going to be VAs out there. So there's nothing that I can do. And we give people an option. I mean, we have freelance, we have people from five to a hundred plus an hour on our platform. We have freelancers and agencies that make $250,000 a year on our platform. So it's really up to the client what they want to do. I've had clients that are really against outsourcing. I've had clients that they have, they outsource for five years and that actually allows them to get an office and hire people in person in the U S and they wouldn't have been able to do if they weren't outsourcing. So 
I kind of see both sides. I So in terms of the minimum, I, on the free marketplace, we have a, an unofficial $5 an hour minimum. If you offer four and the freelancer accepts, the freelancer set their own rates, we don't stop that. But my, my thought process is, and this is based on a lot of experience, is once you start hiring people in that one to $2 an hour range, it's only a matter of time before they leave you for a higher paying task, job, whatever it is. And we don't want to put our clients in that situation where they find someone they like and that person's out the door when they get that offer for four. The other side of it is we're a marketplace for pre-vetted freelancers, usually people who have a lot of experience freelancing, which is what we look for, tend to not be in that one to $2 an hour range. So that's kind of why we have that unofficial minimum there, but you can agree to fixed monthly prices and all that. I'm kind of in the, in the stance that I, I'm not really here to, to help U.S. people or non-U.S. people. I'm here to help just people in general. And mm. I've visited the Philippines. I've I've seen what living in a third world country looks like. I know that a lot of times that they're living paycheck to paycheck, that $5 an hour job changes their life. And it's also not just about the money. I mean, they have families and it allows them to work from home. They traffic in the Philippines is brutal. The ability to not drive 45 minutes each way every day is a huge plus. So there's other factors there. And I guess my last thought is I like to divide it between between followers, doers, and experts. Yeah. The the followers, five to 10 bucks an hour, non-US, they're there to follow your systems, your processes. We do not provide US followers on our platform. We only provide US people $20 and up. And I've kind of got news for you. If you're, if you're a US follower, the industry is just going against you. I mean, whether, whether it's someone working for five or 10 bucks an hour in the Philippines, or it's automation, computers, robots, whatever. I mean, those jobs are, are tough to come by and whether I offer them or don't, those jobs slowly get eliminated over time anyways. But we do have the doers and the experts. We have the specialists, the graphic designers, the bookkeepers, the writers, and, and lots of US and non-US freelancers that get projects there. And then the experts, the higher level, the 30 and up, the marketing experts, consultants, the agencies, uh, UI, UX. So if you're someone that's struggling to, to make ends meet in that $10 an hour range, if you up your skill set, those jobs become more and more available. So that, that's kind of my, my stance on it. Hey there, my friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. I wanted to take a quick moment to invite you to join the Work Smarter, Not Harder Challenge. Over the course of 30 days, these free, yes, free, short videos will teach you a few of the systems and strategies I set up in my business so I can get away from my computer and back to the people I love. I invite you to sign up now at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Again, you can sign up at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Thank you for going so much into that. And I I experienced a little bit of grief this year uh, because I was standing up for overseas workers. And I just said, you know, this bullying needs to stop. And by grief, I mean, I actually got some death threats from the group. Um, yeah. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I'm still alive. So one person who saw who saw my post about what was going on reached out to me through Facebook and said, Kim, I want to thank you. And they, they're in the Philippines. The person said, in my town, minimum wage is $1.50 an hour. And you allowing me to, in a safe place, get jobs for $5 an hour completely changes our, our living here. So please don't change, you know, and that was enough for me 
to know that I was doing the right thing. With that said, I, I do have an awesome team in the Philippines, but what I found was I, I refer them so much to other people who can also use their services that they run out of time for me. So now I'm going back and trying to recoup and actually get them on my team full time at a higher rate so that they don't want to go anywhere. Because what you said is so true. When you hire them really low, I don't want to say this because it's so mean. Don't refer them if you want to keep them. <laughs> that yeah, sounds I so actually... bad though, doesn't it? I mean, I, I'm all about helping people as well. And if I'm not referring when I know there's more work, I feel bad. But sometimes you just need to be selfish. I actually have a, a really funny story. So th- there's this Facebook group of VAs who very ser- very similarly just started bashing me. And I was blocked from the group, so I didn't see the bashing, but a lot of VAs on my platform were in the group. And they started defending me on that post. They sent me screenshots. I actually reached out to the owner just nicely, just being like, hey, I'm the owner of Free App. Like, I would love to talk and just clarify because a lot of the stuff they were saying just just wasn't true. I have a thick skin. I, I People insulting me doesn't really get to me, but if someone's giving wrong information on my platform, I, I at least want to fix that. So they were bashing me for similar reasons that we provide VAs, but we're a high-level marketplace. And I want to explain, hey, we got people from five to 100. The people at five are the best people at five. The people at 50 are the best people at 50. And so that went on. And I, I eventually just blocked that person and blocked a bunch of people in that group and moved on with my life. What else am I supposed to do? Well, in so I got a Twitter message from this freelancer who said, hey, Nate, like I was really excited about like signing up for free up and offering services. I've been hearing good things about you, but I'm in this group and, and they were ripping you apart. And, and now I, like, I, I don't want to join anymore. So I responded to that and I said, hey, listen, like all I can do is, is give you information. I, I'd love to hop on the phone and answer any questions you have and just be as honest and upfront as I can. That's the only way that I know how to do business. So I talked to her. I explained how free up works, what we do, what we what was right, what wasn't right. And she applied and she got onto the platform. Well, within two months of getting on the platform, she landed a $20,000 a month client on the platform. What? Oh my gosh, that's got goosebumps. So it all kind of comes full circle. The same people that were bashing me led to a freelancer getting a huge client on our platform. So sometimes those things work out in ways that, that you can't imagine. Well, that just circles around to communication. If that person had not communicated with you and just started the conversation then that wouldn't have happened. And yeah, what, absolutely. And it also goes to show that what you see on the internet is not true often. Not all the time, but just take everything you see with a grain of salt and find your own truth. So how did free up actually come to be? Like, how did you guys, where did the idea come from? Well, it came from my own hiring um, needs. I mean, I had, I tried all the other platforms. I had hired some people that were with me, but it just took forever to, to vet through all these people. So what ended up happening was I built up this hiring process. It took me five years to, to not perfect because you never perfect your hiring process, but it was pretty good. By the time people got out of our hiring process, we, we were had a high percentage chance that they were going to be awesome. So we started building up this Rolodex of freelancers. E-commerce is kind of up and down. You get towards the end of the year, you lose use a lot of people. In in middle of summer, you're not using people as much. So talking to other Amazon sellers, they had that same issue. It was just tough finding talent. If they needed someone to write a listing, they needed someone today. They didn't want to wait two weeks to to go through a lot of people and 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 figure out who the right fit was. So 
I had the idea to start free up and I started offering the people that were in my Rolodex, people I had used before. And I spent $5,000 to build this minimum viable product. It was the, the, the crummiest software you could ever imagine. People could log in, log out. They could see their freelancers and the billing and, and that was it. All the billing was really manual. They couldn't submit requests. They had to email me or Skype me or call me if they wanted someone and, and that was it. That's how we launched free up. So people started to really like the service. They would say, hey, Nate, I need a customer service rep. Boom, would introduce them someone within an hour. Person would get started. We knew they would do a good job. They did. And we created a referral program where you get 50 cents for every hour that we build the people forever that you refer, which is probably one of my best business decisions. All of a sudden, people are talking about me at conferences about around the world. And I quickly run out of freelancers in my old Rolodex. Meanwhile, Amazon's getting tougher and tougher. My $5 million a year Amazon business is kind of around two or three. We're not really going up. We're not really going down. I'm not really, I'm not selling my own product or anything that I'm passionate about. I'm selling baby products. I'm, I'm not passionate about baby products now. I wasn't passionate about baby products back then. And meanwhile, this free up it is taking off. So I put more money into software. I started a recruitment process, taking that hiring process that I spent five years building and creating it for freelancers and VAs to, to get more applicants, to get more freelancers on the platform. And eventually, Amazon sellers started telling Shopify sellers and other people in e-commerce. So we expanded from Amazon to e-commerce. Free up surpassed my Amazon sales. So I moved my Amazon business over to a partner and decided to focus on free up. And eventually we got into marketing and hiring US freelancers and I guess not hiring, but letting them offer services on our platform. And, and that's kind of the, the route that we took. So we really took an idea, got the most minimum viable product out there, read the market, listened to feedback, slowly put more and more into it, created that referral program and, and grew it from there. My mind is blown. Because I have so many questions, and I already told you that I tend to ask a whole bunch of months at once, so I'm going to try to contain this. There's another platform out there, and I'm not going to name it, but a lot of people are leaving because the fees to the VAs are just going up and up and up. So it's harder for clients to find help because the help doesn't want to pay the fees. How does the pricing structure work for you? And listeners, I just want you to know this is not, you know, I'm not trying to be a infomercial for free up, but I'm just sort of curious how the structure works and how you came across that structure. Yeah. So our, our fee is 15% with a $2 minimum per hour, 15% on fixed prices. That's been the fee since day one. We have no plans of increasing the fee in the future. Um, and the freelancers set their own rates. You, they, you can negotiate, you can agree to fixed price. Um, they, and all, I mean, like I said, we've got people from five to a hundred plus per hour. We have fixed prices on our platform too. So within so the reason, contractor we, pays the fee though. Right. Or does the client pay the fee? Yeah. I mean, technically, I guess the client pays the fee, but I mean, it doesn't really matter who pays the fee. The difference right. between the freelancer rate and the client rate is our fee. So we like to talk to clients in the total. So there's no baiting and switching. Mm -hmm. There's no, oh, it's 10 now, but it's really 12. Um, so if we tell you someone's five bucks an hour, you're hiring someone at five bucks an hour. That's it. There's no other fee. So, so it makes it super simple and there's no minimums. There's no obligation. You can stop using us at any time. So if I'm understanding correctly, and sorry to get down to the nitty gritty, but we do have quite a few VAs listening. So when the VA, let's just use the $5 example, when they say it's $5, the 15% is going on top of that, or it's coming out of the $5. Does that make sense? If we tell the, if we tell the client $5, that's the client's rate. Okay. The freelancer would get three. It's 15% okay. yep. with a $2 minimum per hour. So, but the free, the way it would work is the freelancer would say, Hey, I want three. And we would tell the client five. So the freelancer uh -huh. sets their own rate 
gives us what they want to make net, we add our fee and, and tell it what the client is so that it's clear on both sides and there's no confusion. And if the client wants to offer four, we'll go back to the freelancer and say, hey, do you, do you accept two? And it's up to them if they want to accept, reject their counter. So I find this really interesting because I was having a conversation with somebody in my VA group last week who was complaining about how the fees were just taking such a big chunk of money. And I said, well, why don't you just raise your fees to accommodate for for that 20% coming out? And it was the light bulb moment. Oh, I, can I do that? Well, yeah, you can do that. You know what your services are worth. You know what your time is worth. So charge, get what you want if you can get what you want. And that 20% or 15% in the free up case doesn't need to come out of what you want. It took me the longest time to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, from our side, and we, we kind of take the stance that the freelancers, they're running their own business. We try to control them at as little as possible while still keeping high quality assurance on our platform. Our thing is, is we don't want you to take a rate that you're not going to be happy with later. If you right. if you agree to a four-month project with someone, don't take a rate that you're not going to be happy with in two months. And we expect people to honor their commitments and to finish projects. If you drop a client in the middle of a project for any reason, you're banned from ever getting another client from us on our platform. So make sure that you that you're happy with the rate. We're not forcing you to take a rate. You're more than welcome to turn down jobs, to take jobs that you want, to negotiate with clients, to agree to fixed price. Just make sure that if you give someone your word that, that you honor your word. I, you just said something that's so important. Well, a couple things. You have the right to turn it down. And I've brain fart. I forgot the other part, but oh, the, the part about, you know, get what you want. I, I realized that I was undercharging and it was so much harder for me to stay focused on the projects that I, I did not feel like I was getting paid adequately for. But that was my fault. That was not the client's fault. I allowed that, you know, even if I said my my rate and the client came back and offered a lower rate, I could have said no. So the responsibility was mine to either say no or to say, you know, I would love to work with you and this is my rate. Take it or leave it. There's yeah, some... I, I totally agree with you. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, that's okay. In It's been especially 2019. I mean, I, I started my VA or I started my business as a VA in 2012. I don't know if you realize that, but now ever since I became an Infusionsoft certified partner in 2014, I've been focusing on marketing automation, not necessarily Infusionsoft anymore. And there's been, 2019 has been a year of tremendous growth for me because I've realized that I wound up in that situation again. I was settling and I I had animosity. I don't know if that's the right word or not. I was getting upset at the client with no due cause, because, like not at them. They, they couldn't feel it. But I was really feeling resistance to the work that I was doing because I had accepted lower than I knew I was worth. And when I realized that I had no one to blame for, for it but, but myself, and I realized what I want to be paid, and I started putting out there into not just the universe, but onto the internet and to my network. This is what I'm doing now. This is my services. It's amazing how little the resistance is when you just let people know this is what I do. This is how much it costs. Take it or leave it. I mean, this year has been huge for that. I do have another question for you. And this is so technical. Um, 
Well, maybe not so technical for you. I've been going through a challenge with ClickFunnels and watching a lot of videos with them just because I always love to learn more. And Russell Brunson in one of the videos is sharing how he had a number of credit card processors shut him down or hold funds because, you know, the amount that he was bringing in on a single day was just alarming and they would hold it for six months. Did you have any types of struggles like that that you had to get through while you were building? I mean, handling finances. I do not want to be in your place, by the way, but I can't. How do you handle all that? Yeah, I've never had that situation where they um, where they did that. I did have a weird situation. Um, like I think it was earlier this year where PayPal messaged me and was like, hey, like this transaction was flagged. Like, please provide more information on this transaction. Your your account's on hold. But I provided them the information and within 24 hours it was on hold. So that was nerve wracking for a little bit. Nothing ended up happening. I have no idea why that transaction was flagged. I think it was just paying a freelancer. So I have no idea. Um, but it's definitely a horror story. I mean, you've got to diversify. It's one of the reasons why we have our main processors for ACH and credit card. And we also have a backup processor and we have it attached to our software. So we spent money having our developers integrate with the API just to have that backup, just in case all hell breaks loose on a billing day that we have something else to go to. And I mean, it is one of the risks of using a PayPal, using someone that's not really a bank that has the ability to hold your money for that long. And, and that's why it's a good idea to, to have emergency funds. I know I personally keep money in my, in my personal PayPal just in case anything happens. Let's say on billing day, <coughs> what we've seen is, let's say there's a holiday. So our billing periods are Wednesday to Tuesday. We charge clients on Thursday. We pay freelancers the next Thursday. So Thursday, we're charging clients and paying freelancers. So just in case anything happens, my partner, Connor, and I keep extra of our personal money around. And sometimes a, tra a transfer gets delayed. Let's say that we pay people via Payoneer. We transfer money from our bank account to Payoneer before we pay them. There's a holiday, so it gets delayed for 24 hours, even though technically we have in our terms of use that we have 10 days to pay freelancers. So if it does go past that Thursday, technically we haven't done anything wrong, but we don't want to do that to anyone. We want to pay people on time. So we have that money available just in case. And then the next day, once the, the transaction goes through because of the holiday, our accounting team will just send that personal money right back to us. So there's a little bit of planning ahead that goes into it. I so do not envy that. Just, just saying you can keep that job. <laughs> yeah. What are you most excited about in the next 90 days? Man, I, I mean, right now we're in busy season. So I, I'm really excited just to, to it's kind of where the, all that hard work from the entire year just comes into play. We have all these clients that we've gotten from different places, referrals, podcasts, influencers, our own marketing and content efforts. And, and now we see how we can serve them in, in the time that is when they need it the most for their business. So that's really what, what I'm focused on. And then at the beginning of the year, usually before the beginning of the year, is, is our budget planning and figuring out what is the plan for, for next year. Because what happens in year one, two, and three, or what works in year one, two, and three, isn't the same that's what going to work in year four. And we're aware of that. So figuring out what changes we're going to make, what new things we're going to be trying and testing in the new year, that's always exciting, especially when you come off a busy season where it's not like we're pushing huge upgrades in the middle of busy season. That would be a nightmare for everyone. So you kind of take a step back from project-based work, maximize on what you have, get through busy season, and then the fun begins to, to kind of executing another the beginning of a year where those projects kick up again. Nathan, how do you walk your, walk, uh, walk your talk? 
and is talk your walk. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, what do you do in your business? I mean, I, we're podcasting right now. So I know that you do marketing and you get out there and you share the story. But what else do you do? Uh, like, I'm not asking for a list. But let me think of a better way to say this. Like, what percentage of the business tasks would you say that you actually do? And how much have you delegated out from the the corporate team? My team bills me about 1,200 hours a week. So I couldn't work that much if I wanted to. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I mean, all the day-to-day operations are usually not done by me. If something's escalated, I'm there. Usually things that are escalated don't take very long to fix because we're kind of in the mentality that we want everyone to be happy. We're not really interested in billing people for stuff they're unhappy with. And we want to be fair to the clients and the freelancers. And usually it's not one side's wrong and one side's right. It's usually somewhere in the middle, some gray area, and we just have to figure out how to how to fix it. So besides escalated issues, podcasts, marketing, content, I spend a lot of my time on systems and processes. I mean, just this morning, we're kind of in a business that's always evolving. So new stuff will come in and I'm creating canned responses. I'm creating training material for my virtual assistants so that the next time that situation comes in, it's not, uh, let's remember what happened last time. It's a, there's an actual system and process. My SOP is, it's got to be close to 100 pages long by now. And every little thing is in there. And not only is it in there, but we spend a lot of time making sure that it's updated because we don't want it in six months to have to revisit and write it all over again. If we update something now, we got to update it in the SOP. So I'm a big systems and process guy. I've obviously become the, the face of free up. So I spend time there. And the other part of it is reaching out to influencers and potential partners. You and I talked before about partnering. We have a lot of targets, uh, people that we want to work with in the e-commerce and the marketing space. And building those relationships is is a big part of what I'm doing. But in terms of if you think of three major parts of free up, the, the billing component. So we have a bookkeeping team and a billing team, the, the success team, which is really our recruitment team and interviewing people before they get on the platforms and testing them. And then <laughs> the customer service and filling request team. I do nothing on the billing team besides look at reports. I do nothing on the success team besides look at reports. And the customer service team and the tickets team, I, I kind of lead that team. I'm a little bit more involved, even though I'm not doing every little thing. I kind of have a big picture overview of it, and I'm handling the, only the higher level stuff. And then the rest of my time is on the, the marketing and the expansion efforts. I love it. Thank you so much for all of that. And I have so many questions that I want to ask you off the air. But Nathan, for people who want to know more, possibly hire a VA or a team member through FreeUp. Where can people get in touch with you, find FreeUp? I mean, FreeUp.com, I would assume. But where's the best place to go and really just see FreeUp in action and on social media? Yeah. So if you join my Facebook group, Outsourcing Masters, we have a lot of great content there about hiring VAs, freelancers. It's not a group for VAs and freelancers. It's for people looking to hire. Um, but if you go to freeup.com with three E's, if you are a freelancer, you can apply to offer services on our platform. If you're a client, my calendar, my assistance calendar is right at the top. You can book a free meeting with us. We'd love to talk to you about your business and you can create a, a free account and mention this podcast, get a, a $25 credit to try us out. And we'd love to help you with any hiring needs you have going forward. I love that you said free up with three E's. I didn't even think to say that. Now, listeners, I would love to know what your biggest ahas are from this episode. So I invite you to head over to the show notes, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP637 and leave your ahas down below the show notes. 
Nathan, thank you so much for coming to join us today. I would love to know if you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners. Yeah, don't give up on hiring. Hiring's hard. No one has a 100% hiring record. It doesn't exist. But the people that are doing it in that 80% and up range compared to the 20 and 30%, those are the people that have success in business. And focus on the stuff that you can control, how you vet people, how you set expectations, how you decide not to work with people that are not following your communication guidelines. And if you focus on what you can control and making your process better and better over time, that's what's going to lead you to success hiring. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.